help. I believe this is going to be a good day for somebody to find the Lord. We're going to read a passage of scripture that deals with the end time events. These are the words of Jesus, uh, and he is giving Matthew chapter 24. The whole discourse here is a response to uh, the question posed to him by his disciples. They wanted to know what is the sign of your coming and what is going to be the sign of the end of the world. And so all the way back in the Bible times, they were thinking about the end of the world and they wanted to have some indications. How do we know when we are on the verge of your second coming of the end of the world? And so Matthew 24, Jesus is answering those two questions at length. And we are going to focus in on a passage of scripture starting in verse number 36 that specifically talks about the rapture of the church. Jesus said, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. Let's hold that thought for just a moment. And every time there's a big crisis in the world or catastrophe, kind of like the one we're living through right now, there are internet theologians who are full of malarkey that come up with predictions about the second coming of the Lord, and they try to put dates and times, and they claim a special revelation to know when the Lord is coming back again. Anytime you read anything by anybody in which they say that God has told them what day or when he's returning, you're listening to the words of a false prophet. Discard everything that they say. Not only what they're saying about the coming of the Lord, but discard everything they say, because if they can't read this scripture and figure this out, Chances are they can't figure anything else out either. That's a strong statement, but it is what it is. The day and the hour knoweth no man, not even the angels, not even Gabriel, not even Michael knows when the Lord's coming back again. He has not disclosed that, and certainly Satan don't know when Jesus is coming back again. Verse 37, the Bible says, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So we may not know the day, but from what Jesus is about to tell us, we can know the general season in which he is going to return again. And when we see the world around us bearing a similitude to the world of Noah's day, then we know that we are in the season for his return. Verse 38, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving a marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the son of man be. Then two shall be in the field. The one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the meal. One shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour the Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and he would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. And from this passage and several others that we will visit today, I want to talk to you about the imminent return of Christ. The imminent return of Christ. Jesus is coming back to rapture his church 
and it could be at any time. Now, I'm not an expert on eschatology or the study of end time events by any means. If you're looking for somebody to decipher all of the beasts and images found in Daniel and the book of Revelation and give you all of the meanings and apply them to current events, I'm not your guy. There's a lot of things that in eschatology are still a mystery to me. In fact, even John, when he was writing the book of Revelation, he said he didn't understand everything he was uh, writing. And God said the words of the book were sealed up until the time of the end. But when it comes to eschatology, there are, there's a lot of different views about the Lord's coming and how things are going to unfold at the end time. And I personally believe the deeper we get into this end time era, the more understanding God is going to give us of eschatological matters. One reason I believe that is that the Bible says in Revelation that the words of the book were sealed up until the time of the end. That seems to indicate that God is going to give more clarity as we reach these final stages of time. And personally, I think we're just about there right now. Now, there are three things in eschatology, regardless of different views about the tribulation and the timing of events, there are three things that just about every Christian will agree with. Number one, there is going to come a time of tribulation at the end of the world unlike any that the earth has ever seen. The scripture tells us that this tribulation period will last for seven years, and it will be a time when the wrath of God will be emptied out on a sinful world. It will be a very, very devastating time when uh, large swaths of the population will die, and, and you can read through the different uh, judgments in Revelation 6 and 7, and you can see how horrible it will be to be on the earth in the time of the tribulation. So we all agree that there's coming a tribulation. And then another point that almost everybody agrees with is at the end of the tribulation, Jesus is coming to set up his earthly kingdom and to begin what is known as the millennial reign. That's a thousand year period of peace and prosperity in which the earth will be restored and society will be restored to the condition that it would have been had man never fallen in the garden of Eden. So Jesus is coming to set up an earthly kingdom after the tribulation. But the third point, and that's the one we're going to focus on today, is that everyone agrees that there will be a rapture of the believers in which we will be translated from mortality to immortality. Mortals will become immortals or fleshly, earthly bodies will take on a glorified state when Jesus comes to rapture the church. Now there's a lot of debate about when the rapture will happen. Some people believe what is called the post-tribulation view, believing that the coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church are one and the same event that happens at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Uh, this is a view that the apostles did not believe, but a lot of people believe it nowadays. Uh, but the Bible, teaches that the coming of the Lord and the rapture are two separate events. The rapture of the church and the second coming are not technically the same. Although sometimes when we're not parsing uh, the language right, we may use those terms interchangeably. The rapture of the church, I believe, will take place before the tribulation period starts. And if the current pestilence is any indication that we are winding things up, as Jesus said that uh, in Matthew 24, that before uh, the tribulation actually gets here, 
We're going to have a period of time called the beginning of sorrows. And in the beginning of sorrows, it will be marked by famine, earthquakes in random places, and pestilences or diseases. And if you've been following the news, you're reading about all three in the world today. The famine that is starting to rock the continent of Africa as locusts are devouring their crops. An earthquake in Boise, Idaho last week of all places and in other places around the United States and the world that typically don't see earthquakes. It's happening right now. And with this virus that has brought the entire globe to its knees, we are under a pestilence unlike the world has seen for many years. And so we've got all of these events coming together, which could be, I'm not stating for a fact that they are, but very well could be the time that Jesus spoke about when he said, when you see these things come to pass, this is the beginning of sorrows. And if that is the case, then that indicates that we are very, very close to the rapture of the church and Jesus coming back to take his bride. Things are winding up. If there's ever been a time to get very serious about living for God and to be very serious about the condition of our soul, the time that we're living in today is that time. And so there's a lot of debate given as to whether or not Jesus is going to rapture the church before the tribulation or after the tribulation. Now, I personally believe from the scripture it's going to happen before the tribulation. But if I'm misreading the scripture and Jesus chooses to allow us to go through the tribulation, we need to have the kind of faith where we're ready for the rapture at any moment. But if we go through some things before we get out of here, we need to have our faith in the Lord in such a place that it is un shakable. We need unshakable faith in the church. Let me take just a few minutes and talk to you about the rapture of the church. Now, when you read through the New Testament, you will not find the word rapture mentioned anywhere in the New Testament and certainly not anywhere in the Old Testament. So while the word rapture is not a biblical word, it does carry a biblical idea. The idea of the rapture is clearly taught in the word of God. Because you see the word rapture simply means a catching away. When you lift something up or you lift it up suddenly and unexpectedly, we could say, I raptured this item. I have a Bible laying on this pulpit and a Suddenly I reach down and I lift it up. The act of suddenly lifting it up or seizing it or catching it away would be to rapture it. Well, Jesus is going to catch his church away. Let's look at what the Bible said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 17. Paul dealt a lot with end time events in 1 Thessalonians. And here's what he said to this church then. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That word caught up from the Greek is harpezo, which means to seize or to snatch up. So we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And so literally what Paul is saying here is we are going to be going about our normal lives and then all of a sudden a trumpet will sound and at the sound of that trumpet, Jesus is going to come back for his church. And in that moment that happens instantaneously, the church will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's going to be what happens when the rapture happens. That means literally, there are some born again people that may be driving down the road and when the rapture happens, that car is gonna be vacated. 
There's going to be people eating in restaurants, unless it happens the next few days, maybe not. But there will be people eating at the same table. And if you got sinners and saints eating at the same table, all of a sudden at the rapture, the fork is going to go clattering to the table and the chair will be vacated. These are not fantasy stories. These are Bible ideas in that it's going to happen suddenly and we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Paul further talks about this moment in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he talks about the resurrection of the righteous, which happens at the rapture. He said, it's in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. So when Jesus comes, all of the church that is alive in the world is caught up. But at that same moment, all of the born again believers who have went before us by the way of the grave are gonna be caught up out of the ground. But they're not coming out of the ground as a decomposed, uh, skeletal remain, but they're going to come up out of the ground with a glorified body. He said, this mortal shall put on immortality. You and I live in a mortal body. We feel our mortality. Some of us struggle with headaches, backaches, joint pain. Some of you might be fighting diseases and cancer and and we feel the rugged effects of age and disease on our body today. And every one of us, when we look in the mirror, when we get up in the morning, we're looking into the face of somebody who is slowly dying, somebody who is bearing the marks of mortality. But when the rapture happens, there is going to be an astonishing change take place to our bodies. We are still going to have the same body, but our body is going to be changed. And we are going to take on what the scripture refers to as a glorified state. Our glorified bodies will have abilities that we do not have in these mortal bodies. For example, when Jesus rose from the dead, he was the example, and, and by looking at Jesus' post-resurrection appearances, you get some clues to what we will be able to do in a glorified body. He could walk through a door without opening it, walk through a wall. He had abilities in the glorified body that he did not demonstrate when he was here in his earthly, mortal body. And so we're going to be changed and our glorified body will never get sick. It will never die. It is built to last for all eternity. I want to be ready for the rapture because Jesus is coming back for his church and we are going to be caught up from this world to meet the Lord in the air and our earthly mortal body will be changed. But we're going to focus in on a particular aspect of the rapture today, and that is the fact that it could happen at any time. I believe, and we're gonna show you in the scripture today, I believe the Bible teaches that the return of Jesus is imminent. The word imminent means that it could happen at any moment. I do not believe that there are things yet to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church. It is quite possible that the rapture could happen before I'm done preaching this message today. And it's possible that the rapture could happen very, very soon. It may not. The Lord may choose to wait for a few more years. I don't know. I don't know the day or the hour. But what I wanna leave you with this morning is that it could happen at any time. The return of Jesus Christ is imminent to us today. 
And so let's look at some scriptures that clearly teach the imminent return of Christ. Let's go back to our initial text in Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 36. Jesus said, but at that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Notice here what it says in verse 38. For as in the days that were before the flood, what were they doing? They were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. Does that sound like there was some catastrophic tribulation going on right there? It doesn't. Typically, you don't have weddings in the middle of an apocalypse. So the post-tribulation friends amongst us, they have difficulty with this scripture. They were eating and drinking. What do you do just about every day of your life unless you're fasting? You eat and drink, don't you? So when the Bible says that they were eating and drinking, it meant that this day was a day very similar to other days. They were doing what they had always done. They were marrying, they were proposing, they were making plans for weddings, they were giving their children away in marriages, they were celebrating weddings. This meant that life before the flood was flowing along like it had for a long time. The people, even though they had heard the warnings of the flood, they didn't believe the preaching of Noah. So things just kept on going like they had always been going. And here's what the Bible said. They did all of that until the day Noah entered into the ark. So the day Noah walks into that ark and all of that dispensation is about to come to a close, it is a day just like every other day. There was nothing to mark that particular moment as being exceptional. But one day the voice of the Lord said, Noah, come on, it's time to get in the ark. And Jesus said, and they knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women grinding at the meal, one shall be taken and the other left. And so here we see that the rapture is going to take place on a normal day. It will be marked with a sunrise, just like the sun has risen countless times throughout the history of the world. We'll be planning to go to work. We'll be planning social events. We'll be planning to attend weddings or other functions. It will be a week that's on the calendar and planned very similar to other weeks. But in that day, in that normal day, the day of the rapture, it will come unexpectedly. The rapture does not give us advance warning beyond the scriptural admonitions of what the general season is going to be like. And that's why it's important for us to look at the general season that we're in today. Let's look again here in verse number 42. Jesus said, watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Be vigilant. What are you watching for? You're watching for the season. What is the season? Earthquakes, famines, pestilence, wars, rumors of wars. And when you see all that stuff start to come together, you better sit up and pay attention. Watch, you don't know the day or the hour, but you know you're entering into the season for the Lord to come again. He said, but know this, that if the good man 
of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and he would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. So be ready because Jesus, the Bible said in one place, he's going to come like a thief in the night. The rapture is going to happen in a moment and it's going to be so unexpected. Are you ready for the Lord to come? If the rapture would happen right now, can you honestly say that you would make the rapture or would you left, be left behind? It's a sobering thought. Now, when we go through the scriptures, one thing that's consistent in the writings of all the apostles was that they all expected Jesus to come. They talked a lot about it today. And it is very clear that all of the apostles that wrote in the New Testament, all of them believed in the imminent return of Jesus. Each of them fervently believed that Jesus could come at any time. Now, if they believed that Jesus could come at any time, we should believe that as well. We do not have a better gospel or more knowledge of the coming of the Lord than Peter and Paul and James and the other apostles had. And so let's look at a couple of scriptures that indicated they believed the Lord could come at any time. Paul said in Philippians chapter three and verse 20, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is interesting here that many times they said they were looking for Jesus to come, but not one time did they talk about looking for the tribulation. Now, if the post-tribulation theorists were correct, you wouldn't have to look for Jesus to come. You look for the start of the tribulation and then figure that you had seven more years because the Bible said the tribulation will last for seven years and you could almost predict to the day when Jesus would come back again. But to believe post-tribulation rapture is to believe something that the Bible doesn't teach. The Bible teaches that they were looking for Jesus to come at any time they were not looking for the great tribulation. Philippians chapter four and verse number five, Paul said, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. When you say the Lord is at hand, that means you believe that he could come at any moment. So he said, no, no more, be modest in your lifestyle. Live moderately. Don't get too caught up in the things of this world. You have to live in the world, you have to use the world, you have to go to work and job, but you better not get too attached. You better live moderately because one of these days you're gonna leave all this stuff behind and there is not one thing in this world worth trading your soul for. There's not a job, there's not any dollar amount, there's no illicit affair in the world worth losing your soul for because the day of the Lord is at hand. Be ready, Jesus is coming. He could come at any time. Titus chapter two, verse number 13, Paul said, we are looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, let's just be real honest. Here in, in the modern society in the United States and in most developed countries around the world, we have things pretty good. We have good houses to live in. We have good transportation. We have air-conditioned rooms to shelter us from the, uh, the, the elements outside. Our society is comfortable. It's filled with recreation. We have things pretty good. 
But in the midst of all of this comfort, there has been a spiritual laxity that has happened. We are not doing as the Bible said would happen in the end time where we start saying, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Most of us would rather the Lord wait before he comes. I had a feeling just this past week as I was thinking on these scriptures and light of the current crisis and it dawned on me and it washed over me a fresh realization that literally Jesus could come back at any time and it, it struck a little feeling of terror in my soul to think about the, the seriousness of the rapture and the finality of that moment. And I'll just be very transparent with you. There was something in me that says, I hope he waits for a little bit. Now that was not a rational hope and that, that was not a desire that is in accordance with the scripture because we need to be praying for the Lord to come quickly. But it did come to my mind that if things continue to get worse in our world over the next little bit, you and I might very well find ourselves praying that prayer, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But if we pray that, according to what Paul says here in Titus, we are looking for a blessed hope. I want you to know that it doesn't matter what happens in this world, that does not affect our hope and our outlook because our outlook is geared towards something that is beyond this world. My hope is not in the economy coming back. My hope is in the rapture. My hope is not in a bigger house or a better job or a better anything or world peace. My hope is for the coming of the Lord to come back again. So I want to challenge somebody. Get your eyes off the news. Get your eyes off of world events and put your eyes on the scripture and look at the hope that we have of Jesus coming back for the church and let that be what your soul rests in. Looking for that blessed hope. Peter believed in the imminent return of Jesus. He evidently didn't believe this business of having to wait through the seven years of the tribulation. If he believed that, he wouldn't have wrote what he wrote here in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7. He said, but the end of all things is at hand. So in other words, this thing is winding up and it's right here at hand. So when you know that the end of all things is at hand, what does it do? He said, therefore be sober and watch unto prayer. The current prayerless condition of the church can be directly connected that we don't have enough preaching and understanding about the rapture of the church. If we want a revival of holiness and prayer, we need a revival of rapture preaching and a revival of the doctrine of the imminent return of Jesus. Because when you know that Jesus could come at any time, it'll make you stand up, sit up, and get on your knees to pray and get a hold of God and live right. The Apostle James believed that Jesus could come at any time. He wrote in James chapter 5 and verses number 8 and 9, he said, be ye also patient, establish your heart. You know what it means, establish your heart? It means you just get settled. Don't be in church and out of church. Don't be one of these people that are fired up to live for God this week, but you're too discouraged to to pray or to seek God next week. Your faith is up and down like a spiritual teeter-totter. At some point, we need to get beyond that condition of being hot and cold, and we need to get settled in our spirit. Something needs to take place inside of us that says, you know what, I'm gonna get a grip on this thing and I'm not going to let go. 
establish your heart because the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. The rapture is almost here. So get stable, get in church, get rooted, get grounded. And he said, grudge not one against brethren, one against another brethren, lest ye be condemned. Now let me just say this. I'm not here to, to, to refute false doctrines, but it's hard to preach the truth without conflicting with false doctrines. And our American church society is filled with false doctrine. And so let me push back a little bit. There's a doctrine out there that teaches that once you're saved, you're always saved. Eternal security. Once in grace, always in grace. That's a false doctrine. It comes from Calvinism, and Calvinism as a whole is some of the most damnable theology in the world. And the doctrine of false, uh, or eternal security, it's a false doctrine. They says, once you get saved, even if you mess up and you don't live for God after being born again, once you're a son or a daughter, you're always a son or a daughter, and you can't be unborn. And so when the Lord comes back, even if you're not living for him, if your faith is not active, if you're not living in holiness, you'll still be okay. Well, American Christians love that. It makes them feel quite all right and quite complacent living a sinful, worldly lifestyle. But James did not believe eternal security. Because when he was saying to the church, to brethren, he said, grudge not against one another, lest ye be condemned. So in other words, if you're crossed up with another brother or sister, if you're harboring hatred in your heart towards anybody, you won't be ready for the rapture. And so James's reasoning for keeping your relationships with other people right was the fact that the judge is standing before the door. So here we have the picture of a group of people in a room. And maybe there's been a little friction going on and people have wronged each other and there's some grudges flaring up. And James is speaking with a prophetic anointing. And he said, you that are in this room, get it worked out. Take care of your grudges. Bury the hatchet. Let love began the flow because the judge is on the porch right now and he's about to open this door and this thing is about to wind up. I am preaching with a passion in my soul today that Jesus is coming and you need to be ready because he's standing at the door. He's on the porch right now and at any moment the rapture can happen and you and I better be living in holy and righteousness and be ready for it. One last verse of scripture that to me indicates the importance of believing in the imminent return of the Lord is 1 John chapter 3. Verse number 2, he said, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. He's talking about that glorified body there. Now, I don't want to chase a rabbit right now because I'm hunting deer. And when you're hunting deer, you don't chase rabbits. But this rabbit be worth chasing for just a second. It does not yet appear what we shall be. He's talking about that moment when this mortal body puts on immortality. Now, the glorified body, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of details about it, but there are some clues. And I like it to look at the clues and just wonder a little bit. I believe that our glorified body is going to look different than what we look right now. The reason I believe that is after Jesus rose from the dead, most of his closest disciples didn't recognize him. When he came out of the tomb, someone that had been with him for years said, are you the gardener? They didn't recognize him. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they walked with him, but for a long time, they didn't know who they were walking with. So his glorified body looked different, but yet the glorified body kept the scars. And so there were traces 
of what he looked like prior to glorification that he carried with him. So what are we going to look like when Jesus comes? I'm six foot four. I weigh 200 and none of your business. I don't know what I look like, but I hope I look a lot better than what I do today. And I hope you do as well. But we don't know because it does not yet appear what we shall be. But here's what I like. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. The goal of my life as a Christian is to be Christ-like. But I've got to be transparent with you. There's a lot in me that's still not like Jesus. I'm working on it. I'm applying the word and the Holy Ghost is helping me. But I will not totally be a true Christian through and through until the rapture happens. But in the true rapture, I'll be able to say I am a true Christian because finally all of the parts of me that have not been completely reconciled to the image of Christ and the likeness of Christ will be once and for all reconciled and in alignment with the image of Jesus Christ the rapture is going to be a great moment you're going to be what you never could be this side of attorney but verse number three look what he said here and every man that hath this hope in him what hope the hope of the coming of the Lord the rapture, the glorified body, when you have the hope of Jesus coming at any time, what do you do? He purifieth himself even as he is pure. So this lets me know that the doctrine of the imminent return is inseparably connected to holiness of lifestyle. When churches are filled with worldliness, when saints live lax, cold, carnal, worldly lifestyles, it is always reflective of weakness in their eschatology. But when they know Jesus could come at any minute, you understand, I better not be fooling around. I better not be watching that. I better not be saying that. I better not be harboring that thought. I better not be going there. I better not be acting like that because Jesus is coming and I don't want any sin in this world to get in me. I don't want to be indulging in any act of defiance to the word of God in light of the fact that Jesus is coming at any moment. As I bring this to close, I want to give a call to everybody under the sound of my voice to come back to a life of radical consecration and holiness. If we've ever needed holiness living, we need it right now. Let God, let the Spirit of God convict you. Let God can challenge you and convict you of things in your life and pull you back to a life of commitment and holiness. Let me preach to everybody right now that, that you're away from God. We've got a number of people uh, listening. We've had thousands of people each week listening to this preaching, and I'm trusting that I'm preaching to some people right now that you've gotten cold on the Lord, and, and you've let some things come into your lifestyle, and you've started indulging in things that you know are not pleasing to the Lord. I want to challenge you right where you're listening. Why don't you you have a prayer meeting in the next few minutes and start repenting and start putting some things on the altar and get some things consecrated to God. Get your heart ready for the Lord to come back because he could come at any time. The Bible teaches that, that to be saved, you've got to repent. You've got to renounce the life of sin. And after repentance, we need to be water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And when we're water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the scripture says that our sins are remitted. Or in other words, they are forgiven. 
They're washed away by the blood of Jesus. And if I'm preaching to anybody now that has not been water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, we have a staff minister sitting by the phone right now waiting for your call. You can call and we can get that baptism scheduled because you need to be baptized in Jesus' name because the Lord is coming and it could happen at any time. And if Jesus comes and you've not yet been baptized in Jesus' name, you're not going to make the rapture. You must be baptized in the name of Jesus to make the rapture. Don't wait. We can get it done today. The virus may shut the world down, but it's not shut our baptistry down. We can baptize you in Jesus' name today. The scripture teaches that we need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God come in until we're giving evidence of that infilling by the speaking and other tongues. Now, a lot of times on a Sunday morning, we have altar call. I finish my preaching as I'm doing today and we invite those in the church to come forward and pray and this altar here at the front on most Sunday mornings on a normal Sunday is people are coming to repent and just about every Sunday around this church people receive the Holy Ghost the saints of God get around them and lay hands on them and pray for them it's a great time for receiving the Holy Ghost but this morning due to the present crisis we cannot have you at this altar and pray you through to the Holy Ghost with the laying on of hands but I want you to know that there were people in the New Testament that got the Holy Ghost and nobody was laying hands on them. And so my prayer going into this weekend is I prayed over this live stream service and I said, God, this is different because people are not listening to me preach where they can come to the altar and we can pray together for them to receive the Holy Ghost. But some of them will be watching this on a cell phone and other people will be in a living room and it's going to be a little different environment than church. But let me tell you what I feel strongly impressed to tell somebody that's watching at this moment. You can receive the Holy Ghost right now, right where you're at. I just encourage you to lift your hands with a repentant heart and begin to praise God. And don't stop praising until you feel the Spirit of God come on you. And when the Spirit of God comes on you, you'll start speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. And it'll be like somebody just tipped a bucket of joy over in your soul. The Holy Ghost is going to fall on you. Let's pray together. Lord, right now, I am praying that you would let there be a revival sweep across our country and our city. God, I know you're about to come back. I pray that some sinner would be called to a place of repentance and forgiveness. I pray, God, that the Holy Ghost would fall. I pray that everybody who is in a backslidden condition, let them be stirred as they're praying right at this moment. I pray that the Holy Ghost would come upon them again. Let your spirit visit us. Let the Holy Ghost move in a rich and wonderful and powerful way. I want to encourage you to pray. Seek the Lord. Come on, pray like you've never prayed before. Pray with fervency. Lift your voice out loud. The Lord is hearing every word you say right now. The Lord is hearing your prayer. God is with you. We're going to sing it together. And let's take the next few minutes. And let's pray. Let's seek the Lord together.